Welcome to the Voice of Victory podcast. The goal of this podcast is to preserve the life and ministry of our late pastor, Dr. Jim Tedder. For 58 years, Dr. Tedder was the pastor of Victory Baptist Church in Shelbyville, Tennessee. We believe the message you're about to enjoy will be a help and an encouragement to you. Thank you so much for listening. And now, here is Dr. Jim Tedder. Psalms are in the Psalms. Uh, verse uh, chapter 23, or Psalms 23, it's not really a chapter, it's just Psalms 23, verse 5. Brother Mike taught a Sunday school lesson here the other Sunday on that, and, and uh, it just really intrigued me, some of the things that he said, and I took some notes. And then yesterday, I, I was thinking about it, and I called a shepherd, that uh, a man that shows sheep all over the United States, all over Tennessee anyway, it was David Gordon. And I talked with David for quite a while about sheep and, and about this particular aspect of sheep. And, and uh, he, he, and he filled me in on some of the details. Brother Mike gave a lot of details the other day, and then he gave some more details. He said that this, this uh, problem is with a mite fly, I think is what he called it. And it gets in the nostril, lays the egg in the nostril of the sheep, and, and, it, and it produces a larva, and like, kind of like a maggot. And that's where the maggot of the mind came from. And if those things are not checked, they go up into the, up into the nose of the, of the sheep and actually get into his brain. And, and so I, I got to thinking after his lesson, I said, you know what? Satan just fills our minds full of maggots like that, doesn't he? They might not come through the nose. They come through the eyes and through the ears and through the tongue sometimes. And, uh, but but the, the, he fills our mind full of maggots, Satan's maggots. And, 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 and we got some lessons here from this lamb and sheep and the 23rd Psalm that I want us to look at tonight. Here's one of the things that David told me. He said, Preacher, this, this stuff is, is routine with the sheep. He said, it's not something that you do once in a while. It's something that you have to keep on, on all the time. It's a routine thing. Uh, they anointed the head of oil, the Bible said, in, in the shepherd in, in Psalms 23. Uh, but he said, we got today where we can give them a shot. But he said, it's a routine thing. And I got to thinking, boy, it's a routine thing that Satan attacks our mind, didn't it? About, about the time I think everything's getting straightened out, here comes Satan again. You know, I, and that's the way it goes. And just about the time you think you've got the victory, here it comes, drags you down the ditch again. Now, a lot of us won't want to admit that. A lot of folks want to make folks think that I never have a bad thought. I, 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 my mind is always pure and holy. I told some folks this morning, if your mind is pure and you never have a bad thought, don't need to come back to church tonight. And see, like several folks got pure minds at Victor Baptist. <laughs> but the rest of us, we got wicked minds, and, and, and Satan makes contact with us through our mind. That's the number one. He said it's a routine thing. It's something that's got to be done year after year after year. And number two, he, uh, Brother Mike said this the other day, it's transferable to other, other animals. And so the maggots that get in our mind, if you don't watch out, we'll transfer that thinking onto somebody else. But anyway, in Psalms uh, 23 and, and uh, verse uh, 5, the Bible said, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemy. Thou anointest my head with oil. Thou anointest my head with oil. And there's the reason that the head of the sheep are anointed with oil by the shepherd is order, in order to prevent these, uh, these uh, mite flies from, uh, and parasites from coming in and, and laying their egg and causing those sheep a lot of problems. Maggots of the mind. Father, I pray tonight that you would bless as we look into this scripture and may Christ be glorified. Thank you for what you did here this morning. Thank you for that young man that got saved, for this young couple that united with the church. 
Thank you, Father, for being with us and, and meeting our needs today. And it's been a good day. And we love you and thank you. And Father, had it not been a good day, we still love you. But I praise you, Father, that you're in control. And I praise you that you love us. And I thank you that we're part of your family. Now, we ask a special blessing tonight upon Aunt Vera and upon Irene, especially these two ladies that uh, seem so close to eternity, so close for, to depart from this world. I pray, Lord, that you would give them strength and grace and courage and bless their families with unusual grace that they've never known and experienced before in their life. I commit them to you, Lord. You can bless them. You can help them. And I ask that you will for the glory and honor of the Savior. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We must not allow Satan to control our mind, our maggots of the mind. Our mind is Satan's big contact with the believer. Uh, I've got mind problems, and so do you. A lot of folks won't admit it, but we do have mind problems. Over in the book of 1 Corinthians, or I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4. I want you to see uh, what God said. I think the most important verses on the mind that's in the Bible in the next few verses that I'm going to read to you. About three or four verses here. The Bible said in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Now let's, uh, let me see. Uh, yeah, uh, are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to to the obedience of Christ, and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Now, in these three or four verses of Scripture, there are several things that God said. First of all, he's painting a picture of a city that's under attack. The strongholds are being attacked. That's the picture that Paul has in his mind. This is the last stand uh, that this city is making. And, and it's under siege, it's under attack. And, and that's the portrait that he portrays here. And I want you to notice what he said about this city that's under attack. He said in verse 4, he said, I want you to pull down the strongholds. Now that represents Satan's attack on our mind. Satan has strongholds in every one of our thinking. Uh, we've got memory. She sung about the precious memory. I wish I could forget some of the wicked things that's happened to me in bygone years. I wish I could forget some of the wrong things that these eyes have seen in bygone years. I wish I could forget some of the wrong things that these ears have heard in bygone years. And that's the picture that Paul's painting here. He said there's certain strongholds that Satan has on us, and we've got to pull down those strongholds. And, and then he said in, uh, also, in uh, what are these strongholds? He said in verse 5, casting down imaginations. Uh, these are man's traditions. Uh, that nullify the Bible. The, uh, Milton came to me tonight. He said, Does Gabriel, is Gabriel going to blow his horn? I said, there's not a verse of Scripture anywhere in the Bible that it will indicate that Gabriel's going to toot a horn. But we all say that, we all say that Gabriel's going to do it. I don't know where that came from, but maybe some priest said it one time. We just picked up on it and said, Gabriel's going to blow the horn. Uh, you know, somebody said, Preacher, we know the Bible said everybody's going to get weaker and wiser. The Bible didn't say that either. But uh, we, we, we know that it did because everybody knows that it did, you know. And, and there's a lot of tradition. Now, there's a lot of things, my friend, that Satan puts there. He said, you've got to cast down these traditions. You've got to nullify uh, the, these traditions that try to attack the Bible. Now, what are some of these traditions? Religious traditions. 
religious traditions. He said, you've got to nullify, you've got to destroy these things, you've got to cast them down. Mythology, uh, ph- uh, philosophy, men's thinking. Folks, listen, we don't compare what men think to what God's Word said. He said, you're going to have to go into battle over here, and if you do, you're going to have to bring into captivity every thought uh, uh, that's uh, under the control of Christ, under the obedience of Christ. Now, what does that mean? That means that while we're fighting the battle, we're going to have to take prisoners. We're going to have to take prisoners of these thoughts that come up in our mind. You know, Satan's shrewd. He'll throw thoughts in your mind and make you think that you're responsible for it. He'll do that. He'll do that. I mean, I've had that experience many times. I'd be reading my Bible. I'd be praying. I'd be, I mean, it would be a spiritual atmosphere. There wouldn't be any kind of wrong thing going on. But all of a sudden, some of the most vile, wicked things that's ever come to pass begins to filter into my mind. And if you don't watch out, I'm going to say, man, I'm responsible for that, when in in reality, it could be the devil that's responsible for that. But now what God says, God said, when this happens, you arrest those thoughts. You bring them into captivity. You say, listen, thought, I'm not going to accept you. Amen. I'm going to bring you under control of Christ, and I'm going to arrest you, and I'm going to bring you captive, and I'm not going to sit here and let you infiltrate my mind with your wicked, blasphemous thoughts. And and that's what he's talking about here. And he said, you bring these thoughts to Christ. You bring them under captivity. You arrest them, and then you bring them to Jesus. I might not be able to do anything about it, but blessed be the Lord, the Lord can do something about it. You just arrest them, say, hey, listen, this is not right, and I'm not going to allow this. Lord Jesus, you take over and arrest that thought that's coming through my mind. Get it out of there. And God will do it. God will do it. And then the next thing God said to do, in verse 6, he said, with all readiness, you be ready to revenge all disobedience. That means you court-martial. I like that. Not only do you arrest it, but you court-martial any thought that opposes Christ. I refuse it. I'm not going to allow it to stay in my mind. These are the maggots that Satan attacks our mind with. This is how he does it. Now, when Satan begins to attack the mind and we yield to those things, then there's four things that's going to happen to us. First of all, our mind will become corrupted. In the book of Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 22. Ephesians 4 and verse 22. Follow me in the scriptures now. Ephesians 4:22. The Bible said here, and, and that ye put off concerning the former conversations, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Now somebody said Paul didn't have trouble with the old man, did he? You go back and read the seventh chapter of the book of Romans. Paul said, the things I don't want to do, I do. And the things that I want to do, I don't ever get around to doing. I'm so proud Paul wrote that in the Bible. I thought I was about the only sorry preacher that had things to do that he didn't get to do. And had things that he didn't want to do that he ended up doing. I thought I was about the only sorry rascal that ever walked around like that and breathed God's air. But Paul said, I had the same problem. I've got the same problem. Now, when we begin to yield ourselves to these attacks of Satan's maggots in our mind, then the next thing you know, our mind becomes corruptible. And God said, I want you to put off that old man, that former conversation. What does that mean? Listen to me, young person. That means that before you were saved, that the kind of behavior that we had back yonder, God said, you run away from it, and you stay away from it. That means the kind of ways and, and, and the kind of uh, thinking that we had and the kind of manner of life that we had back in those days. God said, you avoid that. Are you listening to your preacher? Avoid that. 
Now, that's, that's the problem that we get into when we think, okay, Brother Jim, I think I can get over just a little bit toward these deceitful lusts. That's what the Bible calls them. Amen. Follow me. Are you following me? Deceitful lust. I think I can play with the fire just one time, preacher, and it not burn me. When you play with fire, you're going to be burned. I think I can get out here and get a, a, a get close to the devil and close to the world and compromise my stand on Christ and still have the power of God. When we start compromising, we lose the power of God. The Bible said you lose it through deceitful lust. Now, the first thing, when we yield to the maggots of the mind, uh, we become corrupt. And, and then when we get this deceitful lust, we begin to excuse ourselves. I hear folks, listen, you know, I've had folks come to me, young people come to me, Brother Jim, I'm dating this lost person. But I believe it's God's will. And I say, no, it's not God's will. It's not God's will. You say, how do you know so much about the will of God? I've got the Bible. God said, don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. I, I've had folks, listen, I've had people come to me, Brother Jim, uh, it's, it, it's, it's, I'm having a hard time. Folks, no, nothing in the Bible says that you've got to have an easy time after you're saved. I'm having a hard time making ends meet. I'll tell you what I'm going to do, preacher. I'm going to go and get me a job in another state, but I'm going to leave my family back here where they can stay in a good, strong church. I said, that's the wrong thing. You don't walk away from God's will. You don't walk away from God's word. Next thing you know, there's a divorce going on. I've even had folks come to me and say, preacher, I've prayed about it, and I know it's God's will for me to divorce my mate. <laughs> I say, no way. No way. If you're saved and your mate is saved, there's no way that God will ever in endorse a divorce in that family. If you're saved and your mate's saved. Now, I mean, it can't be God's will. And when that divorce is granted, you can put it down. Somebody is out of the will of God. Now, folks, you don't pray and get God to endorse sin. You don't pray and get God's approval upon that which you and I want to do that's outside the will of God. He said, that's deceitful lust. Yeah. Now, you see where I'm coming from tonight? And God said, when you begin to yield your mind to the devil, and these maggots begin to crawl into your mind, it's going to corrupt your mind until you're going to start excusing and overlooking and alibying for sin. That's a corrupt mind. Now, the next thing that God said that's going to happen to the mind when we begin to yield to the devil's maggots is that their mind is going to become carnal. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and let's just settle down and read about seven verses. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk. Now, here's some signs of carnality. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you are not able to bear, neither yet now are you able. Now he said, first of all, the sign of carnality is that strong Bible preaching offends you. He said, I can't feed you on the strong meat of the Word of God. All you can take is the milk. All you can take is the pablum. All you can take is that uh, ABCs. You can't get down. And listen, strong Bible preaching offends the carnal. And then he said in the next verse, he said, For ye are, ye, for ye are yet carnal, for where is there is among you envy? You show me a person that's jealous of somebody else, and I show you a person that's carnal. And God said, And strife. 
You show me somebody that can't get along with people, I'll show you somebody that no matter how much they declare themselves to be spiritual, they are carnal. Strife. The Bible said, well, there's strife, there's carnality. And then he said, division. You show me a church that's divided, and I'll show you a bunch of babies in Christ. He said, are you not carnal and wealth as men? You show me somebody that's, that throws the Bible aside and does their own thing, and honey, they're carnal. Then he said in verse 4, For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? You show me some folks that are following men instead of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'll show you some folks that are carnal. I'm still preaching Bible. He said, Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers? Who are they? He said, they're ministers. By whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither is he that watereth, he's nothing either, but God that giveth the increase. When you show me, folks, are you listening to me? When you've got folks following Jim Tutter instead of the Bible, instead of the Lord Jesus Christ, then I've produced a bunch of carnal believers. When you've got folks bowing down to any man, listen to your preacher, and saying whatever that man says is right, you've got a bunch of carnal believers. I don't care how spiritual they want you to think they are, God said they're carnal. Folks, we're not put down here to follow men, we're put down here to follow Jesus. And if there's one thing I've tried to do since I've been pastor of this church, as long as I preach this Bible, you follow me. Amen. But when I deviate from preaching the Word of God, then you vote me out, and you get your preacher in here that'll preach the Bible to you, and then you follow what he says. Don't follow me and follow God. The sign of, of the maggots of the mind is corruptness, and, and a corrupt mind, a carnal mind, and then a confused mind. In the book of James chapter 1 and, and verse 8, James 1, verse 8, the Bible said here, A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. A person that's confused about the will of God. You say, Brother Jim, what are you talking about there? I'm talking about a person that's in today and out tomorrow. I'm talking about a person that's up today and down tomorrow. I'm talking about a person that's on today and off tomorrow. Folks, that's, that's a sign of carnality. You know what most of us want to do? We want to say, God, if you'll bless me, if you'll let me do everything I want to do, let everything happen to me the way I want it to happen, don't let anything go wrong, then I'll shout the victory and praise the Lord. But Lord, if you don't bless me like that, then I just might quit church. If you don't bless me like that, I'll get the pooch mouth and I'll resign what I'm doing. Come on. Now, folks, that's a sign of carnality, that's a sign of a confused mind, and this is called by the, caused by the maggots of Satan. And then last of all, the fourth sign of a person that's yielded to Satan and these maggots of the mind is a collapsed mind. Over in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12 and verse 3. Now, I believe I've given you a wrong reference on that, but if you'll turn to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 3, I'll read you the, the, what the Bible said about the collapsed mind. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 3, the Bible said, For consider him, that's Jesus, that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your mind. A lot of folks, my friend, are fainting in their mind, and Jesus said, If you want to keep from fainting in your mind, keep your eyes on me. I was the one that endured such contradiction of sinners. 
I was the one that had to fight the battle. I was the one that had to be denied by my nation. I was the one that was rejected by my family. I was the one that was taken and crucified. Keep your eyes on Jesus. If we don't, our minds will faint and we'll fall by the wayside. Satan's maggots in the mind are seen in a certain way. These maggots that gets in the sheep's head, there are seven things that happens to them. First of all, they begin to run. Brother Mike used some of these, and this man gave me some of them the other day. There's a lot of Christians, my friend, that's running from the will of God, and they can't be satisfied. There's a lot of Christians that think there's a greener pasture somewhere else. Come on. There's a lot of Christians that just can't be satisfied in their Christianity, and no matter what's going on, there's something wrong. That brings me to the second characteristic of the maggots in the head of the sheep, and they kick a lot. He said they'd run out through the pasture just kicking up their heels. Uh, there's a lot of believers, my friend, that does a lot of kicking because they're under satanic control. They kick about everything. They're critical. They're mumbling. They're complaining. Let me give you a verse on that. In the book of Numbers, chapter 11 and verse 1, Numbers 11 and 1. And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. Now, wait a minute. Are you over there in Numbers chapter 11, verse 1? Let's read it together. The Bible said, and when the people complained, what did it do? It displeased who? The Lord. When they complained about what? When they complained about anything. When they complained about God's will. When they complained about God's work. When they complained about God's way when they complained about God's people, when they complained about God's leader. You follow me? The Bible said when the people started complaining, it displeased the Lord. You think the Lord's changed today? I think he's the same God he was when the book of Numbers was written. I think he's listening to the complaints of the people of God today and said, I'm just dis as, dis as displeased with you as I were for those people that was complaining yonder in the wilderness. The Bible said, when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. Now, here's the next thing I want you to hear. And the Lord heard it. The next time somebody comes to you and said, I'm going to tell you something, but don't you repeat it. I don't want anybody else to know it. You just look them right in the eye and say, but somebody else already knows it. Amen. You can whisper it to me in my closet. You can write it down on a letter and hand it to me, and all I've got to do is read it. But I guarantee you there's one that's got the all-seeing eye of God, and he's already seen it, and he already recognizes it. The Bible said the people complained, the Lord didn't like it, and, and the Lord heard it. And now listen to the next thing. And his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed them that were the uttermost part of the camp. Not only did the Lord hear it, and not only did it displease him, but the Bible said God got mad at it. A lot of sheep kick, like the maggot in the mind is causing the lamb in the field to kick. And that lamb in the field, when he gets the maggot in the mind, and we get these things that Satan throws in our mind, some of the lambs leave the flock. They just run away from the flock. And then, and then some of the lambs, when they get this maggot in their head, like a lot of the children of God, when we get Satan's maggots in the mind, they run from the light. I don't know what makes the light affect them, but the shepherd told me the other day that they'll run and try to get under a shade tree, uh, and they're, they're getting away from the light. This, this Bible that I'm preaching from is light. It's the light into my path. It's the lamp into my pathway. 
And there's a lot of folks, my friend, that Bible preaching begins to offend them. I, I remember one preacher telling this story. He said, he preached this sermon. He said ten years later, he went he dated his sermons. I date my sermons most of the time. And he said ten years later, he went back and he preached the same sermon. He said, when I preached it ten years earlier, he said, there was a man that met me at the back door, shook my hand, and said, Pastor, as long as you preach the way you preached this morning, I'm here, I'll support you a hundred percent. He said ten years later he preached the same sermon and the same man met him at the back door and said, I resent what you preached this morning and I'll never set foot inside this church again. Now what happened to that man in the, in the ten years interval from the time, I love that sermon, you keep on preaching like that, I'll keep on staying, same sermon, I'll never set foot in this church again. What happened to him? Satan's maggots got in his mind. He decided, I don't like the Word of God anymore, and I don't like the preacher the way he preaches. And the Word of God became offensive to him, and he ran from the light. Jesus said, men love darkness because their deeds are evil. When these maggots get into the mind of the sheep or the head of the brain of the sheep, it causes great pain. When we allow, listen to be child of God, when we allow these maggots to infiltrate our mind, then it causes us great pain and no rest. In Psalms 38 and verse 3, look at it. Psalms 38 and 3, the Bible said here, There is no soundness in my flesh because of mine anger, neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. When the psalmist said, I allowed sin to get in my life, he said, I found no soundness and I found no rest. I want to tell you something, folks. It's God's will that God's people find rest in God's will. And if you're not finding rest in the will of God, you're not in the will of God. Period. Period. We rest in the will of God. We find peace in the will of God. Well, the Bible said that this maggot that goes up in the brain of that sheep causes great pain, and it, it also sin causes great pain in the life of the believer. And, and then when that pain comes, a lot of times we, like the sheep, we run from the shepherd. It's not the shepherd that's causing the pain. It's the maggots that Satan puts in our mind that causes us the pain. Over in the book of Amos, chapter 3 and verse 12, Thus saith the Lord, As the shepherd taketh out of the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the children of Israel be taken out that dwell in Samaria. I've said this so often in this pulpit that one of the most pathetic verses of Scripture in the Bible is a picture of that shepherd overtaking that lion. Lion represents the devil. And he's taken out of that lion's mouth two legs and a piece of an ear. And you know, I believe that that's just about all that God's got to work with with some Christians. Their usefulness has been destroyed because they've not brought into captivity these thoughts that Satan has put in their mind. And the next thing you know, they've yielded to the devil. The next thing you know, they're mad at church. They're mad at God's man. They're mad at God's people. Next thing you know, you show up and you knock on the door. You're not invited into the home. The fellowship is broken. And everybody's wrong except them. And they're in great pain. They find no peace. They find no rest. And praise God, it's that way. If you could walk away from God and find peace and rest, you've never known the Lord. Amen. I mean, folks, you, can, you just can't know the Lord and then forget the Lord. And the Bible said the shepherd shows up. What's the shepherd doing? He's fighting the lion. The lion is Satan. And he said, I'm going to claim that sheep. It's my sheep, I love that sheep, and I'm going to take it out of the lion's mouth even though there's not much left, and he reaches in there and he takes out two legs and a piece of an ear. Now that sheep's gone. That sheep's demolished. 
That sheep's dead. But God said, that sheep's still mine. There's a lot of... You get a hold of that and you can shout over that one. There's a lot of Christians, my friend, as far as the work for God is concerned, they are useless. They can't have any power of God. They can't have any presence of God. But God said, you're still mine and I still love you even though the devil has destroyed you. I praise God that he loves us that much. That makes me think that no matter how deep the old prodigal gets in sin, that when he says, I will arise and return to my Father, he's always going to find a loving Heavenly Father to meet him, to forgive him, and to welcome him home. Oh, you listen to me. And, and look again in, in verse uh, chapter 5 and verse 19 of Amos. And as if a man did flee from a lion and a bear bit him, or he went into the house and he leaned his hand on the wall and a serpent bit him. Uh, you know, that's just about the way it is when we're running from God. That's just about the way it is when we leave the fold and get in sin and the pain comes. No matter what we do, it just seems like it's going wrong, it's going wrong, it's going wrong. No matter how hard we try, we dig the hole deeper and deeper. Sometimes that sheep, when the maggots get in their brain, it's like the little lambs, when Satan's maggots get in their mind, they seek shelter elsewhere. Most miserable man in the world is a man that doesn't fit anywhere. That means a backslider. You take a man that's not walking in fellowship with his father, when he comes to church, he doesn't fit. But I tell you what, he can go out here and get on a bar stool and get drunk, but he doesn't fit there either. He can't find any place he fits in. He's looking for shelter elsewhere. When he can't, folks, you can't listen. He's our rock in a weary land. Jesus looked at Peter and said, Will you also go away? Simon Peter said, Lord, we don't have any place else to go. Oh, Lamb of God, learn that. CJ, there's no place else to go, so we might as well stay where we're at. Amen. There's nobody else that loves us like Jesus, so I might as well stay with him. Hallelujah. There's no people in the world that's going to pray for me like God's people, so we might as well stay with them. Don't you seek shelter somewhere else? And then last of all, number seven, those maggots in the mind, if they're not taken care of, will cause death, just like the maggots in the sheep will cause death. And the Scripture tells us in First John chapter 5 and verse 6 that there is a sin that's a sin unto death, and God said no amount of praying is going to spare the individual that's committed that sin unto death. But here's the thing that I want to point out. Brother Mike pointed that out in the Sunday school lesson the other day. It wasn't buzzards that poisoned their mind. It was flies. Did you hear what I said? It wasn't foxes that climbed up their nose. It was little maggots that climbed up their nose. Are you listening to your preacher? It's not, Brother Wolf, what's what God saying? God's saying it's not the big things that'll get you. It's the little things that'll get you. It's not the big things that'll destroy churches. It's the little things that destroy churches. It's not the big things that'll destroy marriage. It's the little things that'll destroy marriage. Did you hear me? It's that husband and wife not talking. It's those little love gestures that we had when we were on the honeymoon or when we were courting, but we forget that. It's the little things that neglect that brings death to homes and death to marriages and death to churches. And it's these flies that causes death to the lambs. How, how do we get rid of these maggots of the mind? How do we get rid of them? Now, you want me to give you two words that tell you the truth? We can't get rid of them. 
We can't get rid of them. The Bible said that the shepherd is the one that anoints the head of the sheep. He's the one. Oh, isn't that glorious? I can't get rid of this old contaminated mind. But blessed be God, the oil of God's anointing. What does the oil represent in the Bible? Represents the Holy Spirit. Represents the comfort. Represents the healing. Represents the anointing of God's power. And God said, Thou anointest my head with oil. My mind, Alvin, needs the Holy Ghost of God just like my heart needs His guidance. I need the Holy Spirit. Folks, my mind has got to have it. I, I, I have Him. I can't operate without the Holy Spirit in this world. Now, the secret, my friend, to having the anointing of God is a Christ-like mind. You say, what is a Christ-like mind? Ephesians, uh, Philippians chapter 2 and, and verse 5. Philippians 2 and 5. Uh, I'm, Philippians 4 and 5. I'm sorry. The Bible said here, well, I'm on, I'm, let's go back to 2 and 5. Let this mind be in you. By the way, there's been just enough confusion in this church tonight to contaminate my mind. I reckon when I started preaching this sermon, old Satan said, we'll see what we can do. And, and, and my mind's been wondering tonight as I've been trying to preach to you. The Bible said in Ephesians 2, 5, let this mind be in you which is also in Christ. Now, what is the mind that was in Christ? Let's just analyze a few verses down through here. Who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he made of himself no reputation. You say, Brother Jim, what is the mind of Christ? We're not put in this world to make ourselves a reputation. You, I'm going to tell you the truth, and I'm in the end circle, and I know this. I know some pastors that will walk all over a church and walk all over a congregation to climb a little higher on the denominational ladder. And you know what those people are desperately trying to do? They're trying to make of themselves a reputation. I, I've got some friends, but I love them. I love them. But, but braggadocious and, and, and always look what I've done and look what I've accomplished. And you might not believe what I'm going to tell you, but I'm going to be the biggest pastor and big, have the biggest church in this county some of these days. Folks, God said the mind of Christ made no reputation for himself. Now, we're not, we're not down here to try to impress men. We're down here to try to do the will of God. And, and sometimes it might not be God's will for us to be successful. Boy, that's foreign in fundamentalism, isn't it? I mean, no one considered a successful man, but Jesus said no one knows seven other people that got in the ark saved the world. I mean, even our Lord's ministry, it wasn't very impressive. After three and a half years, there's 120 people in that upper room. I mean, according to some of us, Jesus was a terrible... But we're not down here to make of ourselves any reputation. Follow me. Am I preaching Bible to you? Is this heresy? Okay. And he took upon him the form of a servant. What's the mind of Christ? I'm not interested in my reputation, but I'll tell you what I am interested in doing. I'm interested in being a servant. Jesus said, the greatest among you be your servants. Servant Christians. You kids, listen to me. You listen to me. I'm trying to help you. Listen to what I'm saying tonight. God said, you want to be the greatest. Then you become a servant. 
Jesus said, I didn't come into this world to have people minister to me. He said, I came into this world to minister and to be a servant. And, and you know, a lot of folks have got the idea. Uh, I, I ran into a man out there the other day in the hallway. I gave him $30. Did I have $30 to give him? No, I didn't have $30 to give him. But he said, I have a great need. He never came to this church, never saw the man before in my life, probably never see him again. And, and by the way, I didn't give him $30. He was telling me how that he's come to all the churches seeking help and nobody has a Christ-like spirit. You know what he thought churches were for? He thought churches were down here to minister to him. Now that's opposite of what... Listen, folks, we're the ministers. We're the ministers. He said, churches just don't want to help anybody anymore. I thought I'd just shut him up, so I wrote him a check for $30. I said, now, mister, I'm not giving you this because you look like an honest man. He didn't, but I made out like he did. And I said, I'm making you a loan of this money. And I'm expecting you, as soon as you get on your feet, to pay me back. You say, you shouldn't have done that. The man's able to work. Now, if he wasn't able to work, I'd have given it to him. But he was able to hold down a job, and bless God, I had no business giving money to an able-bodied man. He can work and pay me back, let him work and pay me back. I'll never see that outfit again. I don't think. He might shock me, and he might accidentally show up sometime. I don't know. But I'm really, I'm just, as far as I'm concerned, the $30 is blown. But that's the attitude that people have. The church was put here to help me. No, sir. The church is an avenue whereby me and you can become servants and minister to others. Instead of looking around and saying, How, what can the church do to help me? Let's look around and say, What can I do to help others? Amen. See, that's what the servant mind is. And Jesus had the servant mind. The Bible said that he made of himself no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, made likeness of man, and being found fashioned as a man, he humbled himself. The mind of Jesus was a humble mind and became obedient. The mind of Jesus was an obedient mind, even to the death of the cross. Now, that's the mind of Christ. First of all, the secret of this is letting the Holy Spirit give us the mind of Christ. Then we have the mind of Christ, we'll have a controlled mind. I've already, I've already discussed that, bringing every thought into captivity in, first, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5. And then last of all, it'll be a contented mind. Preachers and Sunday school teachers, let me give you a real good outline right quick in the last chapter of the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 10, you can write beside of verse 10, the only thing that you deserve. Philippians 4.10, you can write beside that verse, the only thing that we deserve. Now listen to what it says. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last time care for me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. The only thing that you and I deserve, now you listen to me, is an opportunity. You mark that down, that Bible. The only thing that I deserve that God owes me is an opportunity. Now you listen to your preacher. He'll give you an opportunity to be saved. But don't take it that he's going to have to come back next year and next year and 10 years and 15 years down the road. God doesn't owe us that. But he, he will give us an opportunity. Now that's the reason when the Word of God is preached and Holy Ghost conviction comes, that's the reason you don't resist God's Spirit dealing with you. God is giving us an opportunity. He owes us that. In that sense, He's promised us an opportunity. But listen... He hadn't promised us opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. There used to be a saying written on one of the walls of our church several years ago over on Colville Circle. Why should anybody hear the gospel twice before everybody hears the gospel once? 
You know what we are in America? We, we, we just come to church. I was convicted last Sunday, Brother Jim. I shun the Spirit of God. I'll come back next Sunday. I'll get convicted again. I'll just shun the Holy Spirit. And, and just treat God like He's a nobody. We forget that we're dealing with holy, sovereign God. God said, I'll give you an opportunity. Now, we lose that opportunity. It could be gone forever. Bible said, I must needs go through Jericho. It's the only time Jesus went through Jericho. Jesus went through Jericho for one reason, because there was a little man by the name of Zacchaeus that wanted to see him. He didn't save anybody else in Jericho. There wasn't any great revivals in Jericho. And had Zacchaeus missed that opportunity, no doubt in my mind he'd have died and gone to hell. But God gave him an opportunity. There were some men on the side of the road one day. They were blind. And they cried out and said, uh, uh, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on us. Had they missed that opportunity, they'd have spent the rest of their life blind. You following me? That woman at the well, she met Jesus one time. Had she missed that opportunity, would she have ever been saved? I'm saying, folks, God will give us an opportunity. Now, we either accept that door and say, praise God, it's open, and I'm going to take advantage of the grace of God, or we turn down the grace of God, expecting Him to give us another opportunity. He might, and He might not. I'm going to ask you the same question that used to be on the walls. Why should God come to me a thousand times when there are millions of people in this world that's never heard the gospel one time? Now, God said, this, I'll give you that. That's the only thing you deserve is that opportunity. And, then, and the second point I want you to see is in verse 12. He said, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. This is the greatest thing that we can ever know. First of all, the only thing that God, that we'll give, that God, that we deserve is an opportunity. And then secondly, the greatest thing that we can know. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. I know how to be on the mountaintop and I know how to be in the valley. I know how to stay with God when I'm hurting, and I know how to stay with God when I'm happy. That's the greatest thing that you can know. I'm going to stay with God. I know how to do these things. Praise the Lord. And then the third thing I want you to see is the greatest thing uh, that we can have is found in verse 13. The Bible said, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. The greatest thing you can have is the power of God with you. Hallelujah. The greatest thing you can have is the touch of God on your life. If I know my heart, Bobby, I'd rather be dead and not have God's power on me. If I know my heart, I couldn't stand to face tomorrow out of the will of God. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ. Through Christ. Through Christ. That's the greatest possession that we can have. Verse 23 is the greatest thing that we share. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. That's the greatest thing we share. I visited with Irene last week. You know what I saw? I saw God's grace. I visited with Aunt Vera last week. You know what I saw? I saw God's grace. I visited in the home of your loved ones. As they lay dying... And I've seen God's grace. He said, may the grace of God be on you all. We share it. Listen to me. You listen to me, child of God. When it comes time for you to die, the same grace that God's given other saints will be yours. 
We share that. If you're saved, if you're saved, I marvel. I marvel at what God's done in Vera's life. She said all of her life, I'll die with cancer. I don't know why she said it. She just said, I'll die with cancer. You've heard her say it, no telling how many times. And when, when she, I don't know what's wrong with her. I don't know, it hardened the arteries running our family, and, and maybe it's hardening the arteries, maybe it's Alzheimer's. I don't know what's wrong with her. But she don't even realize she's got cancer. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? I don't know what God's done, but he's done something for her. I remember, Walter, when Miss Bonnie, I remember when we stood in that hospital room and the doctor said, maybe six months, and, 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 and she looked at the doctor and said, I don't mind the dying part, but I just don't want to hurt. I'm a coward and I don't want to hurt. The doctor said, we'll do everything we can to keep you from hurting. And that cancer went from wherever it was to the brain, and whatever part of the brain it attacked, she didn't have any pain. But, honey, that's God's grace. That's God's grace. I've seen God's grace. There's such a family back there, two children in heaven. It's almost unbearable, but there was grace, wasn't there? There was grace. I saw this dear lady, the only woman that she called mother in this world, uh, feed her her supper and then rub her hair as she went out into eternity. And I've never felt the grace of God any greater in all my life. Hey, honey, that's one thing that all the saints of God have in common. We've got God's grace. When it comes time to go and when it comes time for us to bear the burden, C.J., we've got God's grace. But here's the greatest need that we have. It's found in verse 11. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. That's the greatest need that we have in this world. Oh, God. That, my friend, will bring peace and victory. And that's called contentment. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. He had a contented mind, a controlled mind, an obedient mind. The mind of a servant, not seeking his own reputation, but doing the will of the Father. Maybe some maggots of the mind is attacking your mind, some of Satan's maggots. Why don't we do something about it tonight? You say, Preacher, what can I do about it? You can come to the shepherd. Quit running from the shepherd. Quit running from the flock. Quit running from the light. And come to the shepherd and say, Anoint my head with oil. Give me that fullness of God's Holy Spirit. Give me that touch of God, that grace that I need. Just anoint me. Anoint me, Lord, with your power and with your, with your spirit. That's, only, that's only the answer to that problem. The shepherd anointed the sheep's head, and he took care of the maggots. When the shepherd anoints our mind with the Holy Ghost, it's going to take care of those maggots. But he's got to do it for us. And i got a feeling that we're going to have to ask. Having mind problems, let's bring it to the shepherd tonight. Let's bow our heads. Father... I don't understand the atmosphere here tonight. I don't understand the, the, the confusion of my own mind and heart as I tried to preach this sermon. I don't understand it. 
But Lord, I'm going to accept it. That you're going to do a work here in spite of the weakness of this under-shepherd. And, and I'm going to ask you, Father, tonight that there's folks here that needs their mind anointed with the oil of the Holy Spirit. My mind needs to be under control. There are some thoughts that needs to be arrested and brought to Jesus. There are some thoughts in my mind that needs to be court-martialed and kicked out. And I want to control this for the Lord Jesus Christ. Satan puts all kinds of thoughts in our head. Tells us it's not worthwhile to serve God. It's not worthwhile to raise our children for Christ. It's not worthwhile to send our kids to the Victory Academy. It's not worthwhile to tithe. It's not worthwhile to serve missions. All kinds of thoughts in our mind. But Lord, I'm going to ask you tonight that the Holy Ghost of God would just come in such power that our mind can be yielded to the Lord. We'll not faint in our mind. And we'll say, Lord Jesus, there's a battle going, but I'm going to turn this mind over to you. And I want you to take control of my thinking. I'm not going to say amen to that prayer. I'm just going to ask you to stand while heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I'm going to ask our musicians if they play a verse. And as they play, you respond as you need to the will of God.